Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. I'd ask that you take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, as we take a look in the Word of God this morning, I've entitled the message, Who? Who? In Exodus chapter 5, we're going to read the entire chapter all the way through Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13. So if you have your Bible, follow along. If not, just listen, and uh, we will get into the message And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmaster of the the people went out and their officers and they spake to the people saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where ye can find it. Yet not all of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted hasted them, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmaster had sent over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou with us thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is in thine own people. But he said, you're idle. You're idle. Therefore, ye say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you. Yet ye shall deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. And it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. Verse 20. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of a servant, to put a sword in their hands to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, 
Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he had done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand he shall drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Cana, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And the Lord spake before, and Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of, uh, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and said unto Aaron, and gave them charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word this morning. And Lord, I ask that the things that are said and done would bring honor and glory to you. I pray that this message would bring an encouragement to your people here. We thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the Bible, a love letter to be able to help us know how to live. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think that anybody would debate the fact that life is hard. From the moment you exit the birth canal, screaming your ever-loving head off, to the time of death, we find that life is hard. I want you to think about this with me, just for a moment. Being broke is hard. Becoming wealthy is hard. Choose your heart. Being married is hard. Being divorced is hard. Choose your heart. Working, uh, winning is hard. Losing is hard. Choose your heart. Doing life on your own is hard. Living by faith is hard. Choose your heart. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 14 and verse 1, that man is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. It says in a couple of previous uh, chapters before then, the book of Job, Job chapter 5 and verse 7, that the life is hard. It is difficult. Jesus said that life was hard. 
In John chapter 16 and verse 33, the Bible says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Though life is hard, we still have hope. I'm glad that though life is hard, that, 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 that there is not uh, for us, any, not, there's not hope for us. There is hope for us as believers. But we've got to choose our heart. See, we've got to choose as believers, though we know life is hard, how we're going to live life. Many times as Christians, we believe once we get saved that life should just be perfect and everything should just work out exactly the way that we want it to work out. But my friends, faith is not born in comfort. Faith is born in adversity. Life is hard. Choose your heart. In Exodus chapter 5 and verse 6, what we read, we find that Moses and the children of Israel are having a hard time. All around them is difficulty, is hardship, it's, it's wreckage. Life is progressively getting more difficult for them. I want you to think with me. What is one to do when life gets more difficult? I'm sure that you've heard it said or it's been said to you, maybe when you were a kid, you say, you don't know how good you've got it. You know what that person was saying to you? Life is hard. Enjoy where you're at right now. See, but what what are you to do when life gets more difficult? What are you to do when there are more hardships? What do you do when when there's wreckage all around you? You've got two choices. You either can look to the arm of the flesh or you can trust God. You can look to self or you can look to God. See, when life gets more difficult, we are to remember who God is. If you were to say, well, what's your thesis for this, or what's your proposition, or what's your big idea? Remember who God is among the wreckage. So as you go throughout your week this week, and and guess what? Your week's not going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, if I came up here and said, I opened up the message and said, how many here had a completely perfect week? Nothing went wrong for you. If you raise your hand, I want to meet you after the service because you've got something that I want. But let's face it, none of our our week doesn't go perfect. I told Pastor Chris, he he, he spoke a few weeks ago about, about don't pick up stones and don't throw stones and stuff like that. I said, Pastor Chris, I'm going to let you know something. I said, I'm not picking up, I'm not throwing stones any longer. I'm just going to throw fists. You know, why? Because life is hard. Life is difficult. And you and I, we've got to decide how we're going to live life. And for the believer, we're to remember who God is among the hardship. We're to remember who God is among the difficulty. We're to remember who God is among the wreckage. I want you to notice as we go through this text, the issue that Moses and the people of Israel were confronted with and how the difficulty was solved. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Number one, remember who God is when the pressures are mounting. Remember who God is when the pressures are mounting. Take a look at Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31, because this has happened. This happens right before they go into great difficulty. Take a look at verse uh, 31. 
And the people believed. Moses and Aaron came to the people and he, he told them, hey, we're going to release you from slavery. We're going to release you from bondage. We're going to go into this promised land. It's going to be great. Said, and the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their afflictions, they bowed their head and worshiped. Man, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31, things were looking good. Things were looking up. Things were exciting. There was hope. There was a great outlook. Moses and Aaron had spoke to the people and they believed what God had said and they worshiped God there. It was an exciting time. Things were going to change. My whole, my whole life situation was going to be new and I'm going to be from out from underneath this great burden, this, this great bondage. Then reality set in. They had decided to follow God and the man of God, and now the consequences of their decision became real. You know, in life, it's easy to make a decision. It's hard to live with the consequences of it. That's why so many times people don't want to make decisions because they know the consequences of them. Man, they had made the decision to follow Moses and Aaron, and things were looking great, but now... The next morning, if you will, the sun rose and now they were facing their decision head on. See, life started to get a great deal harder for them. But according to this passage, how was the pressure mounting? See, pressure was mounting because, you might want to write this down, disappointment sets in. Pressures mount in our life when, uh, when we need to remember who God is when pressures are mounting in our life. And pressures mount in our life when, when disappointment sets in. Take a look at verse 4 of Exodus chapter 5. It says, And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their work get you unto your burdens? You know what Pharaoh said? Get back to work. Their authority above them refused to listen. They had hoped that Pharaoh would let them go, but they were terribly disappointed. They had a vision of what life was going to look like for them, and it was not turning out the way that they had envisioned life was going to turn out. I can guarantee you all of us in here at one time or another had envisioned how life was going to be. We all had dreams of how life was going to be but it just didn't turn out that way. What happens? Disappointment sets in. The pressure is mounting. See, many times, life doesn't turn out the way that we want it to be because there are situations beyond our control. And we have become disappointed in life because it's not what we had hoped for. This was beyond their control. They had believed God. They had followed God. They were doing what was right. And now pressure was mounting because disappointment was setting in because of something beyond their control. You ever have something that's out of your control, a decision that's been made, and you just have to live with it? That's tough to swallow. See, disappointment sets in, but uh, letter B, if you're taking notes, not only are pressures mounting when dis disappointment sets in, but decisions made are harmful. The decisions that are made are harmful. We find this in verses 5 through 13, and I'm not going to read it for lack of time, but you ought to read it there. In verses 5 through 13 of Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh refused to listen to them. 
and then he made a harmful decision. He decided to increase their difficult situation. It was already hard being a slave. It was already hard having taskmasters over them. It was already hard meeting the quote of the day, but now he increased the pressure. Now he made it more difficult for them. He made life harder for them on purpose. That's pretty evil to make life harder on somebody on purpose. As we stated in the beginning of this message, life is already hard. I don't need somebody else to be able to come in and make it any harder for me. I want you to remember another Bible character, if you would. Joseph. He ended up having the same thing done to him by his own brothers. It is one thing for someone who is not related to you to make life more difficult for you, to make a decision that is harmful to you. But some of you in here, you've experienced as well, where you've had a family member or someone close to you make a decision for you that was harmful to you. Pressures are mounting. What do you do when the pressures are mounting? You, you remember who God is. Joseph, though, he saw God's hand in all of it. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20, the Bible says, And Joseph said unto them, speaking of his brothers, because the brothers were the ones who made this harmful decision, said unto them, Fear not, for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought it evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass, as it is to this day, to save much people alive. See, folks, let me tell you something that you probably already know, but let me just be an encouragement to reinforce it in your life. It is true of life that as you live for God and you're trying to do what is right, there will be those who make decisions to harm you. See, the decisions, uh, the pressure is mounting because of a disappointing hope, because of harmful decisions. But thirdly, verses 14 through 18, you might want to write this down here underneath pressures are mounting. The dealings are harsh. Because of the harmful decisions, the dealings become harsh with the Jews. The overseer of the Jewish workers were beaten. So the way it was is there were, there were workers, the, the slaves, and there were the, the, uh, the overseers, the taskmasters above them, and then there were the overseers from, uh, from Pharaoh. So their taskmasters were actually their brothers, okay? They, they were Israelites, Pharaoh had managers over them. And these overseers, the Jewish overseers, or the taskmasters, I should say, they were beaten. And then what do they do? In turn, they push the people of Israel. They deal harshly with their brothers, if you will. And the people beg for relief from the demands being made upon them. What I find interesting, some of the dealings that were harsh were not only physical, but they were also misrepresented. Have you ever been misrepresented? I think we all have from time to time. One of the, one of the biggest individuals that has to deal with misrepresentation are those who are in leadership. Because people think that they know when they don't. And in verse 17, we see that the people of Israel are misrepresented. They say that you're idle. You're just lazy. You're not doing anything. They were working extremely hard. They were slaves building those pyramids that we see today, if you will. 
They weren't idle. They were being misrepresented. Not only were they misrepresented, but they were mistreated. And I'm sure that you have been mistreated in the past. I'm sure that every single one of us in here has probably been dealt with harshly. What does that do to you? I think many times it causes different emotions to rise up inside of us, doesn't it? When people mistreat us or misrepresent us. But it does, it does cause us, all of us, to do this. According to verse 15, we see it causes us to ask why. Just like the children of Israel, they were asking why. Why is this happening to us? Why is this being done to us? Why are, am I being mistreated? You know what, friends? We may not always know why, and we may not always get the answer of why. But the one thing that we can do is we can remember who God is when the pressure is mounting. Number two, write this down, main, main point number two. Remember who God is when your obedience seems wasted. So number one, remember who God is when, when pressures are mounting. But remember who God is when your obedience seems wasted. It can seem at times that our obedience to God is wasted. Have you ever done what is right? Follow God's word? And now you're wondering where in the world is God? Because everything is falling apart. You know, that's exactly what Moses was saying in Exodus chapter 5, verse 23. Take a look there. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this pe people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Where are you, God? I've done what you told me to do, but I don't see you doing what you said you would do. How about us today? Where are you, God? I've been faithful to share the gospel. I've been faithful in your word. I've been faithful to attend church. I've been faithful to be involved. I've been faithful to give. I've been faithful to do this and to do that. I've been faithful. And it seems like now all my obedience to your word, it's going wasted. It doesn't seem like things are going the way they should. You know what's happening now? Not only was Moses questioning where God was at, the people of God are now turning on Moses. This is when many times your obedience seems wasted, especially in, in a church gathering. You say, what do you mean? You might write, want to write this down under point number two. When those who were for you are now against you. When those who are for you are now against you. We see this in, in verses 19 through 21, and then chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. These were his people. Moses was trying to help get these people out from under bondage. Moses was trying to release these people from their slavery. These were the people that needed to be rescued, and the person who was trying to save them was the one that they were turning on. One of the hardest things for you and I to accept in life is to have those who were once your quote-unquote family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, walk away from you or walk away from me because you're being obedient to God. And this is precisely what's happening to Moses. Those who were trying to help him were hurting him. I think our pastor would attest to this. It's been When you go to pastor's conference, I'll, I'll open up the door a little bit for you on the parsonage, if you will, or behind the scenes. 
And many times when a pastor goes to a pastor's conference, they're trying to encourage us and things like that. When I was a pastor, I would go to the conferences and they're trying to encourage us. And one of the things that they would tell you is that sometimes the people that you hurt the most, uh, help the most, hurt you the most. Many times that's true. That's what was happening to Moses. He was trying to help these people, but they ended up hurting him. I'd like you to turn over 2 Timothy chapter 4, because Paul talks to us about this. What keeps you from giving up in times like these? It's not to look at those who may have walked away from you, to those who have hurt you, but to keep your eyes on the Lord. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. At first, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. When does our obedience seem wasted in our lives? When those who are once with you are now against you. Let her be when God seems to have left you. Sometimes our obedience seems wasted when God seems to have left you. And I don't want you to think that I'm a super spiritual person. I have the same feet of clay that you have, and I struggle with the same struggles that you have. But there have been times in my life where I thought that God had abandoned me. Now, I know, I know what the Bible says, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But my feelings were so strong, and the situation and the pressure was so great, and the hurt was so deep that I felt like, I felt like... God had abandoned me, but he hadn't. But sometimes our obedience seems wasted when God seems to have left you. That's the key word. We see that in chapter uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Moses felt like he was on his own now. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? Lord, why have you done this evil to your people? And why am I even here? What am I doing? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I think we've all been there in our lives, haven't we, where we've done what was right, and the more we do what is right, it seems like the more wrong happens to us. And I want you to understand that even those who we would consider great Christians have gone through the same thing. We're not alone in this. I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the great prophet of Jeremiah. He gives this to us. God told Jeremiah that if he would speak the words that God had told him to speak, that Jeremiah was going to be used in a great way to build up nations and to tear down nations. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 20, if you will. Jeremiah does do what God tells him to do. And almost every time Jeremiah opens up his mouth and speaks the word of the Lord, Jeremiah is beaten and imprisoned. And finally, when Jeremiah faithfully says what God has told him to say, he is beaten naked, he is bloodied, and he's thrown into a ditch. He feels like God has abandoned him. I want you to hear what the great prophet, a writer of Scripture, says to God. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, if you would. O Lord, thou hast deceived me 
and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me, for since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. You know what Jeremiah is basically saying? Jeremiah is saying to God, you tricked me, God. You lied to me, God. I said all that you told me to say, and the only thing that has happened is I've suffered physically. I've been made a laughingstock. I've been mocked. I've suffered emotionally. And by the end of the book, Jeremiah and the people of Israel were led into captivity. It seemed like Jeremiah's obedience was wasted. Oh, by the way, Jeremiah never stopped obeying God. He continued to obey God. He didn't see the full fruition of his obedience come to bloom. He didn't get to see the final result, but Jeremiah stayed obedient to God. Why? Because Jeremiah remembered who God is. Then my final point for you this morning is number three. I think it, it's a logical question. I told you to remember who God is when the pressures are mounting, and I told you how pressures are mount, how they mount. I told you to remember who God is when obedience seems wasted, and I gave you some, some points of how from this passage of Scripture, how obedience seems wasted. But then you ought to be asking me, well, in Jordan, who is God? In chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, God gives a description of himself to Moses and the children of Israel of who he is. And this is what I would like you to write down, if you would. Who is God? According to verse 2 of chapter 6, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. What does that mean? He is the one true God. He is the one that you can focus on, that he has eternal and sure existence. He is the one that has a covenant relationship to his people. You say, who is God? He is the Almighty. God just doesn't have some power. God has all power. But according to verse 4, who is God? Of Exodus chapter 6 and verse 4, I'm a promise-making God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, the Bible says, For all the promises of God in him are yea and, and in him amen. Now here's the key to the promises of God. Listen to this. Unto the glory of God by us. See, God makes promises to us, not just for our good, but it says right there, it tells us it's for his glory. So that God can get glory in it. So who is God? He's the Lord. He's the Almighty One. Who is God? He is a promise-making God. Who is God? According to verse 5 of uh, Exodus chapter 6, He's a listening God. Ladies, aren't you thankful for that? You say, what do you mean? You know when your husband has the paper and he's, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then 10 minutes later, you decide to talk to him about what you just said, and he's like, oh, what, are you, what are you talking about? Right? He hasn't heard you, or he's watching football or baseball or whatever he likes to do. He hasn't heard you. But the simple fact of the matter is you never have to worry about God saying, oh, what'd you say? Oh, what was that? I missed that. 
That's the, not the way God is. God listens. Pharaoh wasn't listening to the people. Pharaoh wasn't listening to the leadership. Pharaoh wasn't listening to the cries and the, and the heartbreak. But let me tell you something. Our God is different. Our God, when his people cry out to him, our God hears who is God. In verse 5, it tells us of Exodus chapter 6 that he's a remembering God. I don't know about you, I'll be 55 on Tuesday. I'll be 55. The older I get, the more I seem to forget. I've walked into a room and I've forgotten why I'm, why am I in this room? And for what, what is the purpose? I got to go back and retrace my steps. Please tell me I'm not the only one like that in this room. Somebody help me out. I feel very lonely. Anybody else like that? Just, you know, maybe give a, oh me or, okay, good, good. God remembers, doesn't he? But it's not, that's not the type of remembering he's talking about. It's not like, oh, oh, you know what? Yeah, I remember. I had a covenant with those people. Yeah, I'm supposed to bring them out. I can't believe that slipped my mind. That's not the way God is. When it says that God remembers, it means that God will act on what he said he was going to do. So when God said that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, guess what? He's never going to forget that. He's going to remember that, and he's going to save you. Who is God? He's the Lord Almighty. Who is God? He's a promise-making God. Who is God? He's a listening God. Who is God? He's a remembering God. In verse, in verse 6 of chapter 6, who else is God? He's a burden-lifting God. The ruler of the most powerful, uh, uh, the, the, the most powerful leader in the world at that time was Pharaoh. And God was going to break the bondage of Pharaoh's rule. Just as you and I might stretch out our arm across the table to get maybe the salt or pepper shaker, God is about ready to stretch out his arm to shake up the nation of Egypt. He's going to break that power. Why? Because he is a burden-lifting God. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. God is all-sovereign. He is the God who rules the world. Now listen, church. He is the God who rules the world. And since he rules the world, he can also lift your burden. Who is, the, who is God? You say, George, I'm to remember God when the pressures are mounting. George, I'm to remember God when, the, when obedience seems wasted. Yes, well, who is he? He's the Lord Almighty. Who is he? He's a promise-making God. Who is he? He's a listening God. Who is he? He's a remembering God. Who is he? He's a burden-lifting God. In verse 6, he says, I'm a redeeming God. See, God's going to redeem his people from slavery. But that's not the only reason why he saved his people. See, God redeemed Israel so that they would be his people. He was calling them out to call them in. This is a beautiful picture of salvation for us here in this passage. God was calling them out of slavery, out of bondage, to call them into a relationship with himself. You know, that's exactly what God has called us to do. What do you mean? Before we came to Christ, we were in the bondage of sin. We were in slavery to sin. And now God has called us out of that bondage through the precious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins, raising again three days later, according to the scriptures. He's called us out of that, not just to free us from sin, but he's called us unto himself so that we can live for him. That's the type of God we serve. 
He has redeemed us so that we can be his people. We can bear his image. Who is God? He's a loving God, according to verse 7. In verse 7, it shows the love of God for his people. You say, what do you mean? He wants a people for himself. He wants us for himself. Listen, you, you, if you don't uh, bring something in and make it a part of your family of something that you don't love. I, God's saying, I want you to be a part of my family. I love you. I want you unto me, the one and only. That's what a husband and wife relationship is like, right? When I saw my wife, I said, man, she is the one for me. I want her. Well, it was really the other way around. She begged me three or four times to marry her. And then finally, I said, I'll do it. But God has brought us into his family. Why? Because he loves us. What's the Bible say? You know it as well as I do. For God so loved. See, this is the God that we serve when the pressures are mounting, when obedience seems wasted. And then lastly, in verse 8 of chapter 6, he says, I'm a promise-keeping God. See, a few minutes ago, I mentioned to you that God's promises to us are for his glory. And because God will share his glory with none other, and because God will not have his glory diminished, that is the basis, one of the basis, I should say, that God will keep his promises. See, you and I can know that we have a promise keeping God. He says in verse 8, I will bring you in unto the land. I will give you victory. See, this is not, well, I hope that God will do this. No, this is a definite. This is who God is. And this answers, what am I going to do when life gets hard? What am I going to do among the wreckage? What am I going to do when the pressures are mounting? You're going to remember who God is. You're going to remember that he is almighty. You're going to remember that he is a promise-making God. You're going to remember that he listens and he hears you. You're going to remember that he is a remembering God, that he will do what he says he's going to do. You're going to remember that he is a burden-lifting God. You're going to remember that he is a redeeming God. You're going to remember that he is a loving God. And you're going to remember that he is a promise-keeping God. So if your heart is broken this morning, God has made us a promise. He is the bomb of Gilead. If you're feeling fearful this morning, God has made us a promise that he is our refuge and strength in a very present time of trouble. We can remember the promises of God because we can remember who he is. And no matter where you find yourself this morning, if you just go back to who God is and get your focus on God, doesn't matter how big the pressures are, and it doesn't matter if your obedience seems wasted or not, and others have turned on you. Because you're not trusting in them. You are trusting in who God is. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org. And we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.